All right. Hello, everybody. It's uh, it's really good to be back. So some of you are like, well, I didn't know you're gone. And I was gone. I was gone for about 10 days, went with a crew to film in Israel and Turkey. Uh, we were in Ephesus, a series that we're doing at the beginning of 2022 on the books of Luke and Acts. Luke wrote both of, the, both of those to help us understand uh, basically the New Testament story and how you and I fit into that story. And we filmed at all these different locations. Each talk were kind of multiple locations where events happen to help bring it all alive. And it was an amazing experience. And I'm really looking forward to the series. And so if you are not in a group yet, that will also be an opportunity to dive into one um, because we'll be starting a lot of new groups at the beginning of the year as we go through Luke and Acts together. Also an opportunity to do book clubs in your neighborhood, uh, especially with non-church neighbors. And uh, we'll have a special version of Luke and Acts that we'll be kind of reading through. And you'll hear a whole lot more about it. But just giving you the heads up, uh, I believe God's really going to use that series and do some really cool things and and reach uh, help us who know Jesus, but also hopefully help pull a lot of people toward him who do not know him yet. So um, that's coming. And that's what I was doing. That's what I was uh, up for now. Some of you are, um, well, I guess I should say hi, too. And uh, so hi and welcome to Chase Oaks, especially if this is your first time to Chase Oaks. And because that's hard to do. And I admire you uh, for especially if you're at one of our physical locations right now and you're here um, coming to church for the first time, whether it's a church for the first time. That's really kind of intimidating or even a new church can be kind of awkward sometimes. I mean, I'm a pastor and when I go to a new church, I've never been to just to visit sometimes. Um, it's, it's sometimes a little bit awkward. And, and so, uh, the fact that you're here is really cool. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, there were some, it just, some memories came of times where I took what is always maybe a little bit awkward going to a church for the first time to some new chase Oakers who were here for the first time that I made really awkward accidentally. Uh, for example, I remember this one guy, he was in the lobby, the church service had already started. I saw him back there. This was at our old building um, before we had the campus on Legacy. And in like most auditoriums and lobbies, there's a wall of uh, wall with a bunch of like entryways. Right. And and so he asked, hey, which which door should I go in? And I just pointed to one. But I was pretty not very specific with my pointing. And what I didn't really think about is that in that old building, we had a nursing mother's room and, uh, and there was a door right there, just a single door that went in and then nursing moms could be there. And there was a one way glass thing that you could look through and see the service. I didn't think about him going there, but that's kind of where I pointed. And so he goes in the nursing mother's room. Now, Chase Oaks, we work hard to be a very welcoming church, but those moms, not so much, right? Not, not in that scenario, right? So it made a memorable experience for him. And I never saw that guy again. In fact, I don't think anybody did. I, it's, it could be a tough room, but, uh, uh, but that was one memory, but even worse than that is, uh, so, and, and this is a mistake as a pastor, you only make one time. So here's the one time I made this mistake. Um, new person, Church for the first time, girl comes up to me after the service. So she liked it enough to come up and meet me, which I'm always down here to do that and I always enjoy meeting new people. But uh, so she comes and, and I was excited for her because she, to me, was obviously pregnant. And can you see where this is going? So I, I said, hey, congratulations. When are you due? Yeah, you know what happened. And she's like, what are you talking about? 
I was like, well, your baby. What are you talking about? Um, that's that's a mistake you only make one time. And uh, and guess what? I never saw her again either. In fact, there's no way to recover from that. Like, you know, basically all I could say was, let me give you a couple of other churches you can try because I knew she would never be back. And uh, and I don't blame her. So um, but it, it, it brings me to the first time I came to this church. So the first time I came to what we now call Chase Oaks, then was called Fellowship Bible Church North. Um, I was a, a college student in Alabama and came out to visit a friend that uh, had was going to graduate school, Dallas Theological Seminary out here. And he went to this church and and I was coming out to look at that same school, which I eventually did. And, and I came to church here and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that visit. Um, it was uh, it was hard hitting. It was impactful and life changing for me. Now, the pastor at the time, the one who started our church that I kind of took the leadership baton from is a guy named Gene Getz. And many of you know Gene. And if you don't, you're going to meet him because he'll be involved in our service the first week of December. Just to let you know this. This is our 40th anniversary year as a church. So we're going to throw a party. And uh, and so put it on your calendars because there ain't no party like the Chase Oaks party. Right. So just, you know, put circle it. Make sure you're here. Um, Gene will be part of that as well. And uh, we'll be doing that together, looking back and also looking ahead at uh, and, and so it'll be it'll be fun. We'll do a lot of yay, you know, for what God's done in the past. But it's also really, really critical for everybody to be there because we're also looking to say, hey, what's what's on a horizon? What's ahead? This is a critical time in the life of the church all over the place, not just our church, but the church. So it'll be a really, really important weekend. You'll hear more about it. Circle the date right now. So anyway, back to church, Gene. First time for me to hear him. And he's speaking on the topic we're talking about today in our service, in our series on Target, which is on this New Testament book of Titus. And it's a it's a really important it's a really important topic. In fact, the the series on Target has been about the book of Titus, where Paul is saying, hey, we don't have to get everything right. But there's a few things we have to get right. Well, this is one of them. And what we're talking about is unity in the church in a polarized world. And virtually every New Testament book emphasizes that because it is such an important theme. And we're going to see why and we're going to talk about it. So he was talking about that topic, but a completely different book. He was in First Corinthians and he's talking about in the context of disunity that was going on in the church and how it was split up into different factions and polarized. And Paul's challenging the Christians there. And, and he's talking about the church as the temple of God. Because the Holy Spirit indwells the church. And so when you when we're about to read this, when he says temple of God, he's talking about the church. And Gene read this passage. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So, again, talking to church, local church. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And here's what Gene said. So in the context of talking about causing disunity and division in the church, he said, hear the warning. Because what God is saying is this, you can choose to cause disunity in the church. But if you make that choice, it comes with a promise from God. And that promise is, I will destroy you. That's his commitment to you. 
And then I remember him saying, there's a number of lists I don't mind being on, but the one list I never want to be on is God's I will destroy you list. It's like, whoa, see why I remember it? And then he started telling stories of just over the years, destruction in people's lives who had often unwittingly. I mean, I mean they, they thought they were just standing for what was right or what, but in a way that was wrong and caused a lot of division and fraction and faction and disunity. And it was just like, whoa. And it was so impactful for me because at the time I was involved in a church in Alabama where there was a lot of division. And, and I'm there and God is like speaking into my heart conviction, just like, man, I'm contributing to it. Like, I, I, I think I'm right in my opinion, but the way I'm going about it is not good and is not right. And I'm part of causing disunity. And I'm telling you, I went back with a whole different commitment to say, I'm going to be a unifier. I'm not going to be a divider. I'm not going to be on that list. I will destroy you. I think, whoa, I mean, that's it doesn't I mean, it doesn't get heavier than that. In the passage we're looking at today in Titus um, three, I mean, here's what Paul's going to say. This is the punchline. He says, warn a divisive person talking about in the church, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time after that have nothing to do with them, meaning kick them out. You're like, is that even a thing? You like you can kick people out? Evidently so. We think, well, I mean, is it is it really that big of a deal? I mean, why is God that fired up about it? And today we're going to talk about how not to be that person. It's OK to have opinions and disagreements and all kinds of things. We should. But how do we do it in a way that we don't we don't become that person that caught that causes disruption and disunity? But we have to understand why it's so important. I mean, for one, we already see it. First Corinthians three that, hey, this is God's temple. It's sacred and you don't mess it up. But we also I want someone as, us to understand the heart of Jesus in this. All the way back to and then we'll look at our passage in John 17 is an incredible passage in the New Testament where Jesus prays for you. If you know Jesus now, now I know not all of you do. Some of you are kicking the tires of Christianity and all that, which is cool. Glad you're here. Good place to do that. But if you know Jesus, Jesus prayed for you. And there's only one thing he prayed for you that we know of when it's on the planet. It's in John 17. And it's interesting because here he came to reach the world, right? To connect to the world. God so loved the world. He sent his only son. And right. And he says, I don't pray for the world. But he said, this is who I pray for. Those who will come to believe. And it's so that the world will know. Here's the passage. Jesus said, I, I pray also for those who will believe in me through there. The apostles message. That's you and me. That all of them. This is his one prayer may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I am them and you and me so that they may be bought to brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. If you understand Jesus's heart to connect to each and every person, like that's why he came, he stakes it all. This is his strategy to, to convince a skeptical world that Christianity is legitimate, that God really did send Jesus into the world, that Jesus is God who came here to connect, that what Jesus is saying is, God, this is what I pray for, because this is how the world will take a look. This is how the world will be reached. That my people, what we call church, will be one, will be brought to complete unity. 
that our unity would be so remarkable that a watching world, a polarized world, the world's always been polarized, that a polarized world would look and say, wow, where else does that happen? It must be real. There's something supernatural that these people shouldn't be together. They shouldn't love each other. They're so different, but they do. And that is Jesus's one prayer because of his love for each and every billion people on the eight billion people on this planet. And so in light of that, if that's what God wants, if that's his heartbeat for the church, a place of remarkable unity, not just the kind of unity where all, we're all just alike. And so we hang out, but diverse unity where we're all not just alike, where a world would say, where else does that happen? That diverse of a group is that unified. How can we be, build that and be a unifier and not a divider and not be the kind of person that we, none of us want to be? But, it, but it's so scary to me because it is so easy unwittingly to be the wrong, like to be that guy, that girl that causes this unity. I know by experience, unfortunately, as I like I talked about, like I look back. I don't want to be that. And so let's talk about it. Let's just talk about, man, what are we building and how can we be part of building it and not disrupting it? Because there's really not a more important topic to ever talk about than what we're talking about right now. So in Titus three, um, Paul uh, is talking to Titus, who's come into the church on Crete, this island in the Mediterranean that where all these churches have started to say, hey, this is one thing you got to get right. This is actually the main thing of all the things that he said, yeah, you got to get this one right. Because there was division and disruption in the church caused by a certain group of Christians that were well-meaning. They weren't trying to do something bad. They were trying to do something good. They thought, man, we've got this important. We've got to stand for that. You know, that kind of thing. But it's just, and it's okay to have opinions. It's okay to have disagreements. It's okay to have all that. But the way they were doing it, not okay. And so Paul, here's what he says to Titus. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Talking about the Old Testament law, Old Testament religious law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self condemned. It's pretty strong, very strong, right? But look what's happening. He says, look what's dividing the church. He says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments, quarrels about the laws. It's what Paul calls foolish controversies. Another way to translate the Greek word, I mean, foolish is fine, but stupid controversies, stupid arguments. Things that just in light compared to unity and all that God is trying to do in the world through the church. In comparison to that. These people's opinions and what they're arguing about are just kind of stupid. Now, at the time, it wouldn't have felt stupid to them. It would have felt like, I mean, they weren't saying, you know, this is stupid, but I'm going to be strong about it anyway. Right. They thought this is not stupid. This is important. It's my opinion. I got to, you know, and and Paul just says, no, these are again, compared to what God's doing. Stupid. Now, every era, every generation of Christians in the church from This one, the beginning, all the way to now, we all kind of have our things that divide churches. Uh, Much of of which would be, Paul would put in the category of stupid. They don't feel necessarily stupid to us. But like 2,000 years ago, as we look at their issues, we're like, yeah, that's, that's pretty stupid. Because we have the perspective of time looking back. If they looked at what divides us, they would look at our stuff and say, oh, that's obviously stupid. 
It just doesn't feel stupid to us, right? So, so 2,000 years ago, it was how Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian? And for us, it's like, well, that's dumb. You don't have to be Jewish to be a Christian. But 2,000 years ago, that was a big deal because, uh, because in Christianity, it came out of Judaism. So these were Jewish Christians that, that were in the church who were telling these mostly Gentile, non-Jewish Christians, because this was a non-Jewish area, it was outside of Israel, that here's all that you got, the Old Testament law and these genealogies they were emphasizing, showing their pedigree. And, and Paul's like, that doesn't even matter. And, and the stuff you're arguing about doesn't matter. You don't have to be Jewish to be Christian. It's it's same. We all come the same way as we are by God's grace. It's not about religious law. It's about a relationship with Jesus. But they still had all these little preferences of how church should be done, how ministry should be done in their tradition. Paul's like, this just doesn't matter. It's obvious to us looking back. But again, they would look at us and say, that's what divides you. Really? And that's been my, my, my experience, you know, like through all these years of church, not just our church, all churches I've been part of and see, is it typically what divides churches are not things that are really the kinds of things that should. I mean, there are some things that rise to the surface and you say, you know, that should be divided. Church. I mean, if, if, if you allow an immoral person to stay in leadership and has no accountability and you just leave him, well, that, okay, that's a problem. That's not small. That's not stupid. Or a major doctrinal thing, like all of a sudden start saying, well, Jesus isn't God or whatever, right? That, that kind of stuff is like, okay, that probably, you know, that probably should divide it. But that's not typically what divides churches. Typically what divides churches is things that are just not that, just not that big a deal. I mean, it may feel like a big deal at the time, but it's often it's ministry preferences or worship style, right? Or, um, Little areas of teaching that don't, that aren't really core, where good people disagree and that some, some people make a big deal about it. Or, or the church in Alabama I was part of that I told you about, the thing that divided that group. Uh, one of the things, this wasn't it, but one of them was we were doing a new auditorium and it was chairs versus pews. And there was a split in the church because they went with pews. Um, my opinion was chairs. But who cares? Right. It's stupid. But at the time, it didn't feel stupid. But that's what Paul's talking about. It's that kind of stuff. And you look at what's dividing our nation. Right. And and we all hate it. It's regrettable. You know, just we've never I mean, in my lifetime, it's never felt this polarized. I've been reading a lot of history lately and realized, man, we've been polarized a lot. Like it's just human nature to do this. It's just with social media and all that. We just feel it a lot more. The polarization and the division about all the you know, politics or, you know, pandemic and how you do all these things are dividing. In fact, I when I, you know, I was I, I was in Turkey in um, in Israel. But when I was in Turkey last week, I was watching TV. I like to watch TV before I go to bed. And normally I watch Food Network, which now Christie's asked me to stop watching Food Network because Christie, my wife, has a very fast metabolism and she eats all the time. She's really healthy, but she eats all the time. And then we watch Food Network right before bed. And she's like, I'm always hungry when I go to bed and we can't. So anyway, I got to find something else. So you can tell me, send it in what you think I should watch other than Food Network. But in Turkey, no Food Network and only one. So so inconsiderate on their TV stations, only one English station in Turkey. All the rest of them Turkish. What's the deal with these people? So a uh, um, bunch of Turkey. No, I've seen so. Um, so anyway, I was watching this. Right. And, and one thing. And you know what it was? It was the Senate testimony for the Facebook whistleblower. 
And I thought, well, that'll put me to sleep. But it didn't. It was fascinating because she confirmed what most of us know. Right. But how they've actually made a business model out of anger and polarization and hate. Because they know those are the things on Facebook and Instagram or whatever. They're going to pop that they're going to cause people to engage. And they know with Facebook, if they can get people angry, if they can get people at each other, everybody's going to read it. Everybody's going to be on it. They're going to watch more ads. They're going to make more money. And so part of their business model is we've got to ramp that up. We've got to make sure that's what people see. We've got to we've got to make it. You know, we've got to take the fire and pour gasoline on these things as a business model. And how manipulative, right? And how easily manipulated we are. You're just like, whoa. Now, that's one thing, right, in our culture when that happens. It's, it is horrible. We all feel that. We all know that. But it's a whole other thing when that seeps into church. Because when that seeps into church, Satan wins. It's what he's always trying to do is pull the church apart. That's his preoccupation is dividing, divide, divide, divide. We know that Ephesians four. He's always looking for a foothold. Jesus says, I will build my church. He's building the unity of the church. And when that kind of polarization blends into church, then it's devastating to the mission. Right. John 17. This is how the world will know. And, and, and that's why Paul is so hard on this. That's why. You know, God is so hard on this. I mean, when he says, that's why he says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time after that, have nothing to do with them. And that's what he's saying. (laughs) I mean, because we can all get stupid. I've been there. And and, and we're not trying to say, I'm going to divide the church. I'm going to try to split. I'm going to try to, you know, I'm going to work for Satan. I'm going (laughs) to score points for the other team. No, none of us ever think that, right? We're just, well, that's my opinion or that's my thing or whatever. I don't understand that. I'm going to, and And we can all get stupid. And that's why he says, therefore, warn a divisive person once. We need that. We need to warn each other. We need to remind each other. Right. I mean, there's times people where I've gotten upset with somebody and talked about them rather than to them. Because Jesus, Matthew 18, 15, is you've got a problem with somebody, you talk to them. You don't talk about them. Because that's divisive. And it's not fair. Actually, when you talk to somebody, you realize, oh, that was just a misunderstanding. Otherwise, we don't talk to them. We talk about them. We invent all this stuff in our head. We have our whole little story of it, it has nothing to do with reality. And it causes a lot of division, right? This happens all the time. So there have been times people have said, have you talked to them? Uh, no. Well, why are you talking about them? It's a good warning, right? Matthew eighteen fifteen. It's a good, good thing to remember. Other times, right? People have warned me. We all need that because we're all going to get stupid. It's just human nature. It's going to happen. So warn a divisive person once. Warn them twice. Give them another shot. Hopefully they're wise enough to listen. But if they don't, what do you do? Third time, like baseball, three strikes, you're out. Why? Because when you look at how division happens, right, in any setting, not just church, but any social site. You're like, how does it happen? Usually it's one or a few people that get, you know, started up and then they start the chatter. And then it grows and it grows and it grows. And what Paul is saying is don't let that happen. Don't let don't let that happen. deal with it. And if they warn them and if they don't do it, you got to get them out of there because they're going to they're going to cause too much division. The 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 unity of the body, the unity of the church is way more important than keeping them in there. You've got to get them out. That's not an easy thing to do, but that's what he's saying to do. Now, hey, none of us want to be that guy or that girl, right? 
um, that that would say warn them once, warn them twice or kick them out or I will destroy you. None of us want to be that person. So let's turn this a positive direction to say, OK, I mean, I'm going to have opinions. I'm even going to have disagreements. I'm going to have concerns. That's actually really good. That's a cool thing. But how do I how do I you know what how do I do this in a way that leads to unity? How can I be a unity builder, not a unity destroyer? How can I be a unifier, not a divider? And um, and so here's the the principle. Okay, going all the way back to John 17 in the flow of the whole New Testament is just is remember the kind of unity Jesus is building. A surprising, diverse unity where our differences become a beautiful part of the mosaic he is forming. It's not a community where of same, where we all think alike and look alike and stories. Are, it, that's, that's not remarkable, that kind of unity, hanging out with people who are just like us and who think just like me. What's remarkable, right, is when it's a community of people who are very different and yet unified at the same time. That's remarkable. It's like a mosaic. Um, in fact, in Israel, when I was taping there, one of the one of the places that we taped, this was an amazing thing. That, we, that I got to do, and I'm still kind of freaked out about it a little bit. Um, we were in a 2,000-year-old house of a very wealthy person in Sephoris, uh, which is close to Nazareth where Jesus grew up, which likely is the town that he and his dad uh, growing up would have done uh, construction work in because uh, that town was right there and it was being built in that time. So this is a wealthy person's home, the kind of home that Jesus would have gone to banquets like at Pharisees houses. And that's the story we were talking about. And so we did it in this, you know, it's the remains of this living room from 2000 years ago and where Jesus, the kind of place he would have been at one of those parties. And on the floor, it had this incredible mosaic, beautiful mosaic from 2000 years ago. These all these tiny little pieces of glass and stone. And it was just incredibly well done. Well, the cure, because there was no tourist there, the curator was like. Hey, instead of just talking above it and looking, do you just want to, if you take off your shoes and just wear your socks, you're welcome to walk on the mosaic and just speak from there. And it freaked me out because I was like, I'm going to, like, I don't want to ruin a 2,000 year old mosaic. I mean, this is, they call it the Mona Lisa of Israel. It's just this beautiful, um, it's a beautiful portrait and stuff and all that that's on there. It's just incredible, but I got to do that. Well, what makes a mosaic unique, right? It's not, I mean, if they were all red, well, that's not really a mosaic, right? Just a red floor. What makes it beautiful, right? The whole point of mosaic is all these different little things. And, and they, you think, how could that ever amount to anything? But you put them all together in a way and you're like, whoa, that's amazing. And that's what God is up to. There's a difference between, you know, when we hear about unity, it's not just hanging out with people or forming unity. of People who are just alike. That's not actual unity. That's something else. That's uniformity. Uniformity is forming uh, is kind of what, what happens in a polarized world is we start just listening to and hanging with people. We develop our little echo chambers of people who are things just alike. That's not unity. That's uniformity. God would consider that gross. Unity is something different. Larry Osborne is a pastor buddy in California. He wrote a book, great book called Accidental Pharisees. Here's how he describes it. He says uniformity is not what Jesus died for, hanging out with people who are just alike. He didn't come to break down the dividing walls that separated Jews and Gentiles, slave and free women and men, so that we could coalesce around a boring, blended, homogenous middle. Quite the contrary. He came to save us in our differences, not from them. 
God delights in our diversity. Many of our greatest differences are an essential part of God's sovereign plan. He actually made us that way on purpose. See, the trick is, is not to not to allow our differences to divide us, but to allow our differences to enhance the beauty of the body of Christ. And to realize that people who think differently and are different and have a different story than me are so valuable because they're going to inform my life. And we can continue to have major disagreements as we remember what we all have in common, which was way more important. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians four. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. This is what we have in common. One body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Meaning there's all kinds of things that can divide us. That's okay. You you may be this politic thing, this politic thing. You may be this opinion, this opinion. You may whatever it does. That's great. Whatever. But let's remember what we have in common. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one father. We have Jesus in common. That's what unites us. And that's the kind of surprising unity when we bring our differences and even celebrate our differences as part of the beauty of the mosaic that Jesus is creating. But it means all of us choosing to build bridges with people who are different from us in the body of Christ, not walls. Polarization builds walls, right? And we build walls, right? But but instead to say, no, I'm going to build bridges. Like, I love the way uh, Zan Holmes okay, used to speak uh, here from time to time. I'd love to figure out how to get him back. But it's, that's become a little bit more complicated But um, with his life. But um, he says, all a bridge is, is a wall turned sideways. So you think of all the walls that are erected in a polarized world and just say, okay, how can I turn that, how can I turn that wall sideways? Here's a couple of examples. So I have a friend who politically, he's a Christian, lives in another state, politically very different than me, which makes some of you realize, well, what are you? I'm not going to tell you, Um, but he's very different. than Okay, but very smart, very involved. He's a guy who ran major political campaigns. He doesn't anymore because he feels like it's just it's gotten too polarized and too ridiculous and he just can't be part of it anymore. But he you would know the campaigns that he ran if I told you. So he's. At that level, he's so, but he's really impacted me because his commitment is this with people who are different, even on the different side of the aisle is, Hey, listen long enough to where you can answer the question. Where are they right? The people that I disagree with, how are they right? He said, sometimes it's really hard. You got to get really creative, but you just listen long enough to how are they right? And that served me well. One more friend, a friend I just met. Um, so he he's a business guy, oil trader, not traitor, <laughs> trader D. So I don't know what an oil traitor would look like. But anyway, he's an oil trader and it was. And uh, and he's asked to speak. He's a Christian and he knew this somehow got involved in this campus ministry at Case Western. And they asked him to speak to a group of Christians, 30 people, just an interaction at Case Western. In, uh, I think, Cleveland to say, hey, what let's talk about. Um, uh, I think I think these were LG, LGBT people who were Christians 
and committed to a traditional view of sexuality between a man and a woman. But just say, hey, let's just host a conversation and say, God loves LGBT people and let's, you know, figure out how we could. So that's what that's the deal. I can do that. Thirty people. And when he gets there, he'd gone viral. There were 750 students crowded in this place. And outside, there were about 60 protesters with their signs and all that protesting against Christian hate. Not hate, hating Christians, but Christians hating LGBT people. So just all that. So what did he do? That's a big wall, right? How do you turn it into a bridge? He just went out and talked to him and said, hey, look, I really care about what you think. And let's talk. I want to hear your story. I want to hear why you are so passionate. And uh, and he did. And he spent a couple hours after this thing just listening to people's stories. And he was able to say, man, I'm sorry. That's what you felt from church is rejection and pain and hurt. And I want you to know there's a place for you at God's table. If you ever want it, he he just loves you. He like, he, you know, and uh and he said at the end, I mean, all these people are, they're hugging. And uh, in a group of them said, hey, we trust you. We trust you. That's turning a wall into a bridge. Now, that's in culture. Now, imagine if that's what Christians were known for. If we were known in a polarized world as being bridge builders, not wall builders. Everywhere we are, at work, but certainly in the church. I mean, think about how hungry people are right now for something different. Everybody's tired of polarization, right? Everybody's tired of hate. Everybody's tired of anger. Everybody's try, tired of everybody villainizing the other person. And not, I mean, aren't we? And so if we are, and I think our culture is, I mean, just imagine what it would be like if we got this right in church. Which is what Jesus prayed that we would do. The one thing he prayed that we would do. This, imagine if we did that. If a watching world would be able to look and say, well, now that is different. That is unique. I can't argue with that. There's got to be something to that. Because where else does that exist? And it's, it's ours to create or to disrupt. And so let's commit to make every effort to pursue the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Just as we're told. And to do all that we can not to be that guy or that girl who disrupts it. That's what we want. So... So the way we're going to, um, I, I do have a tiny bit more talk to do, but the way we're going to do this, normally I'd pray right now, but in, I want us to really hear God's heart. So we're going to, I'm going to ask the bands to come out at the campuses and, um, because we're going to, this song will be familiar to you. If you listen to Christian radio, if you don't listen to Christian radio, that's great. I'm not shaming you for not doing that. It's fine. But if you know, if you listen, you'll know this song, but if you don't, you won't. That's fine. Just um, but as you hear this song, I want us to just pray, pray right now. Just say, God, I want to hear your heart, because if you want to understand why this is so God's so passionate about this, when we understand Jesus's heart for each and every person that he came to connect to and he stakes all of it on the unity of the church, then you realize, oh, well, that is why. And as we hear this, you'll also hear God's heart for you. Um, and which is especially important if you wonder if God really does love you. Or if he's just mad at you. Or is waiting for you to get your life together, or whatever it is. Just realize, no, he just loves you. There's a place for you at the table. So that's God's heart. I love the way the song starts so big. 
and comes down to the one. To see, you know, God's love and majesty a billion different ways. Every single life, a child, a person he came to save. And when we understand that, his passion for every single one, then we can understand why he's so passionate about what we're talking about, about unity in the church. Because that's how a watching world, every single one will know, according to Jesus, that, wow, Jesus must be God who came into the world to connect. And that's why Paul and Titus would say, this is one of the things we just got to get right. And, uh, and, for, and we're going to pray to that end. And also, as we pray, we want you to realize that when it talks about eight billion different ways and every life, a, a child who came to say, that's you. That's me. Uh, and as I said earlier, there is a place for you at his table with your name on it. And this may be your time to come home and begin a relationship with him, come back to him. So let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, I thank you for your majesty, for your bigness, and for how big your love is for every single of the 800, of the 8 billion. And God, in light of that, would you help us have your heart for what you're wanting to do through the church to reach every single one. And God, this has been really convicting for me. In a polarized world, it is so easy to allow that to seep into church. And God, don't let that happen. And where it's happening in my life, God, convict me. And Father, I do pray for every single person here that right now you would help them have a sense of your heart for them. And if there's anyone that just need to come home, to say yes to you, to say, I, I want to come home. I want you in my life. I want to begin a relationship with you, that you would pull them toward you right now. Father, thank you for your love for us. Help us to be your people, your church that you can use to do what you want in this world. And in a polarized world, God, help us to shine brightly as something way different. In Jesus' name, amen.